what is your opinion of the band? I saw some picture the other day, and it's like, look at all those women. And I'm sure he's loving that, just being surrounded. With Prince being the ultimate diva in the front. <laughs> <laughs> and black podcast your north sea jazz review and general news episode for july august 2011 uh panel's back and in the house let's introduce everyone toe jam hello captain hello and player the people pleaser (laughs) and mc Allo, allo. Andy Allo is not on the show, but uh, we're just... uh, Saying allo. Yeah, (laughs) just saying allo on purpose. Okay, but before we get into the show, a player's got a little announcement to make. Yep. We are going to do an upcoming episode covering Prince's greatest TV performances. And like last year, we've put together a survey. Very similar to the greatest Prince songs of all time. So what you need to do is you need to go to Prince.org or our forums or our Facebook, find the link, click the link. But before you click the link, just keep in mind that you can only click it once. Um, If you change your mind and go back and then try to go back in, you won't be allowed in. So keep that in mind because you can only vote one time. But once you're in there, you can vote for multiple TV performances. So it's not appearances, it's not when he's doing interviews, it's actually got to do with when he's doing a song, and it covers pretty much 30 years of performances. We understand that not everything's online or accessible, but if you go through your old videotapes or if you can remember some of these performances, if you really like it, if it was memorable for you, if it was something that made you a Prince fan, if it was something that you got out of the Prince community but brought you back in, because there's a lot of that as well. Yeah, we don't it. expect you to have seen every video on That's there, right. but no, on the ones you have of... seen, vote on those. Yeah, so get in there and vote. It's not uh, TV specials like The Beautiful Experience. It's actual... Prince-produced stuff, yeah. Yeah, well, it's well, nothing like that. Performances, yeah. In-house Paisley Park stuff it's, is not included. It's like Leno and all the other TV appearances he's done. If it's a multiple performance where he does a medley of songs, it's just considered as one performance. So consider that as a whole. And we'll continue the voting and we'll compile the data and we'll bring you an episode really, really soon. So get in there, vote, and it will close soon. So keep that in mind. It will be very interesting. And uh, tell all your other Prince friends as well. Get them voting. Because we want uh, it to be as definitive as possible. We'll do the countdown. That's normal. And if you jump on our forums or any of our places on the internet, please tell us why you voted for those because we'll include that in the show as to why we think that's a, a really great performance. Yeah, if you if you conceived your child to that... <laughs> those arseless pants. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we'll we hear about it. <laughs> so yeah, get voting. Vote your pants off. All right, so let's get into the show. Where, where have you been? Ah, oh, just got back from a trip uh, overseas. I won't give up too many details, but I will add that uh, the last three days of my trip were spent in Rotterdam, which uh, outside of three days a year really isn't a particularly exciting place to be. <laughs> but, but, well, oh, all the <laughs> Dutch people are going to kill you. Uh-oh. No, Rotterdam's a great city, but it's just very commercial and... Um, that's about it. Yeah, don't put a, your foot into it any more than that. Yeah, I shouldn't. The North Sea Jazz Fest was just brilliant. Like that, the city really lit up during those three days. That's for sure. The transport, accommodation, the hospitality was great. Now I sound like I'm sucking up, don't I? So, yeah, so North Sea Jazz Fest 2011. Uh, one of our own, a la me, was uh, at the shows, and uh, it was fantastic. It was great. So let's move on to the general news now. Has anyone got anything? <laughs> Come on, brother. <laughs> Give it up. Say, can we just say, I think I said this last show, you are a lucky bug. The way <laughs> Why, this all you. panned out. Because um, for anyone listening, this wasn't planned. It just so happened that he was going overseas and it just so happened he was in the, the area in the right time. Again, while some of us are always <laughs> in the wrong spot in the wrong time. I think the word you were looking for was lucky, lucky artichoke. So yeah, I, I still can't believe that it panned out the way it did. I mean, it's it's in, incredible being overseas for about a month and um, finishing at this North Sea Jazz Fest was just a blast. And even before Prince was announced, it, you know, even if he wasn't playing there, it's just such a great festival, great atmosphere, really laid back. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's in Europe and probably even more has to do with the fact that it's in Holland because the Dutch seem to me quite similar to Australians in their character in a way. I mean, I know it's a stereotype and all that, but they have kind of laid back and chilled out attitudes. So that was awesome. Great musicians. There's really great artists there this year. And obviously, every night was capped off by a performance by Prince and the MPG at 1am or so by the time they got on stage. So you can imagine you, you go to this festival, doors open at 4.30 or 5 o'clock every single day, and you literally have world-class jazz musicians playing all night, surrounded by, you know, pop acts, rock acts, funk acts, reggae. It just, you know, it's it's very similar to, to Montreux and, and many other festivals, I guess, that dub themselves jazz festivals but are now kind of almost world music festivals. I often wonder if that's one of Prince's uh, selling points is that he does his shows so late that it's like everyone is in this daze, you know, this sort of dreamlike daze, and then they see it and they're like, oh my God. Maybe. 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 Maybe, maybe but he, I guess some of his shows are like that. They start later, but some of them some of them are at more normal times. Like, remember when he played Sydney? No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I knew the minute I said, after I said that you would, you'd come back with that. So, when he played Sydney, it was, um, you know, he started about nine o'clock or something, I and mean, that's not that late for a gig. What is the earliest gig he's ever done, like, in the last ten years? I'd say it'd be, like, eight o'clock. At night. Yeah. I mean, when was the last time he, like, did a midday show? The Super Bowl pre-show. Wasn't that at night? No, no, the, not the actual Super Bowl event, the, the, the oh, press conference. Pre-show. The press conference, yeah. Oh, it's not really a gig, though. Three songs. Well, that was an event. That was an event. Technically, the earliest would be like early morning show, Good Morning America or something. Yeah, it? again, that's not a gig. It's <laughs> bloody. It's a, that's a TV appearance. Let's okay, leave Mont- it to the um, Let's leave it to the Peach and Black fans to let us know. But these ones, these ones started 
late, you know, and, and after the, the entire, like every day, the last performance would have finished by about 12.30 or 1 at the latest. And he's coming on, you know, billed as, com- as coming on at one fifteen, and then wouldn't come on till about, say, one thirty, one forty five. And you're thinking to yourself, it's one forty five in the morning and this show hasn't even started yet. So that was pretty mm-hmm. crazy. And, and you've been, you know, standing in line and, and um, going from venue to venue because North Sea Jazz Fest is like six or seven stages of of artists playing concurrently the whole night. So you've seen so much music anyway that I have to admit personally, on that first night, we had seen Esperanza, Esperanza's whole set, which was very interesting anyway. And I have to say, as much as I enjoyed Esperanza's performance uh, and her band's performance, it, it was just a bit all over the place and also a slow start to the night uh, and then we saw Janelle who um, blew me away I've never seen any footage of of her other than that Letterman performance uh, of Tightrope and it was just all that and then some uh, cool. the band was on fire and just energy galore and excitement galore every, every song was just like an event um, and they really like hammed it up and and, and performed performed um yeah, it was just a show. But, you know, Janelle left everyone feeling feeling just on a high. I have to make a comment here about the sound, though. I was in this, like, third row, even though there were no seats, kind of like third, fourth row, standing close to the stage. And even from there, um, sometimes it, her vocals distorted occasionally. And I was just thinking, oh, I hope this isn't, you know, it's not a good omen for, for what's about to come. But anyway, we, we left pretty happy. Then we saw Larry G. Hey. I have to say... That that was one of the gigs of the entire festival. Yeah, Larry, it really Larry Graham and Graham Central Station just tore the roof off. Yeah, and I was completely in awe. Like, yeah, I just no, didn't. Larry's one that. of those characters. Like, we all love to hate him, but like, you see him play, and he's like, he's just so much fun. Like, he cheeses everything up. <laughs> Badly, <laughs> no, but like it's it's so cheesy. It's it's good. Yeah, it's like, good cheese. Yeah. It's good cheese. Like the funk meter was in overdrive. You know, like it was in the red. And and the the most the funniest thing to me about it was the way that Larry Larry's show started. I thought I was back in '87 or Sign of the Times tour. The yeah. entire band they come in with the drums and I. Well, yeah, <laughs> that's, Prince. That's like, Prince obviously got that. Yeah. 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 So um Larry was doing that in the 70s that that thing. Yeah, exactly. So it was like, what what's going on? And then and then I realized, hold on. He's he's been influenced by Larry. No wonder. Make perfect sense, but it was interesting to see and and they walked straight past us. So I saw Larry like Larry's um Larry's drumming is not bad actually. So I think he was a drummer when he was uh, when he was starting out. So um, That's right. I could definitely yeah. tell. Uh so he's obviously got some skills there. But oh man, the bass. The bass was in the house. It Did you ridiculous. get to touch the bass? Did no. you feel the bass? Oh, uh, actually, the bass touched me, Captain. Oh. <laughs> and about everyone else in in that in that hall. It was a pretty big hall too. That they 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 turned the place out, um, and upside down. Literally, it was just awesome. Like, and a, a perfect set, like a real, real, really well thought out set of just you know the first three or four songs just absolutely blow everyone's minds. Then get into some some kind of freeform funk just kind of jamming on it for a few songs and then 
um, towards the end of it, bring in some sly stuff. And it was just really fun, really funky. And I have to say, even though Larry's a funk player, um, when he, when he uh, turned on the fuzz, he was just doing all sorts of shit. <laughs> like, he was really going... going. At one point, he started playing with his teeth. Like, it was just... <laughs> I didn't expect him to be so almost avant-garde. Like he was really going places with his bass solos, and and his drummer is ridiculous. Whoever that guy is, I haven't I hadn't heard of these guys. So, um, anyway, the question was, is, mm. did he play Pow? No, he didn't play Pow. <laughs> Although I did leave a couple of songs, I would guess, before the end of the set. But they started playing Sly stuff, so I don't think they would have finished on Pow. But the whole. T- the whole set was a pow anyway. <laughs> it's like pow in your face. So, um, and I have to say also, I'll just finish on Larry quickly. Out of everyone, out of every bass player that I saw at the festival in any genre, I think with the exception of Marcus Miller, no one played with as much feeling and soul as Larry Graham. It was ridiculous. It was like he owned the, the instrument. I know it's like cliche to say it, but like the bass was an extension of himself when he played, and it was it was brilliant to see. Like I was smiling the whole gig. I was walking out going, "Man, if I, I wish I didn't have to go see Prince right now, I'd just stay and you know hang out and see the rest of this show." But um, it was really good. And then of course it was, it was time. The, it was the mustache that did it. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was the cheeky grin. Was, uh, yeah. He's all smiles. That guy. He, <laughs> He is. He's a smiley guy. Was that one more question? Yeah. Was there any towel waving involved? There was towel waving involved. Oh, of course. It, was, it wouldn't but, be a Larry G show without but, the towel. But Tina wasn't in the house. It was someone else. Oh, she's been replaced. Know. No, you can never replace <laughs> Tina. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. And then we had to leave a few numbers, probably only about two songs. Uh, before the end of the set and just made our way towards the um, Mars Hall, it was called, in the Ahoy Arena. Uh, same place that Janelle Monet played earlier in the night. And I I don't know why, but as we were walking there, the only thing I could think about was the sound at Janelle's show. Oh, I just remember it being loud, not uncomfortably loud, but loud and, like I said, a little bit distorted at times. And I was thinking, oh, I hope they clear it up. Oh, I'm sure they'll clear it up. It's Prince. Of course it's going to be good. So we uh, we go there, relatively hassle-free, um, and take our seats. Yes, that's right. I did say seats. We had seats for this show. Oh, how nice. Did you have, did you have good I, lo- I love seats. Do you? Yeah. I thought you were being sarcastic for a second. I hate, I hate standing up. Yeah, you see, the thing is, for a Prince show, it depends what kind of Prince show it's going to be. If it's rocking or if it's like ballad territory, fine. Seats are pretty good. You get a good view. But if he starts playing some jams you want to be on your feet don't you no yeah, I do <laughs> <laughs> not at all I was missing some of that it, it, it missed some of that atmosphere for me the the seat the seating experience I have to say oh, did you have good what? seats don't, you don't like being comfortable well no yeah but com- <laughs> you can be comfortable but when, they st- when they start playing like DMSR or all the critics or something or Housequake and everyone's bopping up and down you're just sitting in your seat you're like obviously yeah. You're I sitting didn't. in your seat thinking, I'm so glad I'm sitting in a seat. No, no. What are you talking about? <laughs> I can't stand standing up at gigs. I hate it. Well, I always get the seat no matter what. Okay. Even well, if it means, you know, I'm 50 metres from the stage, I'd rather be sitting down. I, I, I was I was <laughs> bopping up and down 
out of my seat for, for a lot of these shows. But our seats were the best seats in the house. Wow. Like, out of the 10,000 uh, capacity, they were the two best seats in the house. They were the first, like, the first level. So, literally, the... First elevation. First elevation, but, like, the first seat and the ones closest to the stage um, without being... without looking at the side of the stage, if you know what I mean. So, there yeah. was still, like, a diagonal kind of mm. view. They were brilliant. So, um, again, we, you know, we bought, we bought the seats, we bought two seats to each, each night's performance. So that's six tickets, but we also got some assistance from some of the people that, 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 uh, were there at Mojo Ticketing and, um, and also some assistance from the powers that be to, uh, mm. to yeah. get, <laughs> to, uh, to, to guarantee us seats because uh, without that help, I really don't think I would have, I would have had tickets to the shows anyway. Once again, massive appreciation. We'll never have that opportunity, so we're just you know forever grateful uh, for the opportunity. Like I said, best seats in the house. It was crazy. People were actually asking us, "How'd you get these seats?" Because they'd see us in the same seats every night, and they're like, "Come on, how'd you get these seats? No way did you like buy them online or whatever." And were you wearing the peach and black t-shirt? I was wearing the peach and black t-shirt. I only took one with me, yeah. and I wore it every night. <laughs> I wore that same shirt every single night. And the response was? Well, the response was lukewarm, but... Uh, you had Prince coming over to your side of the stage just waving at you, didn't you? Actually, you know, you, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> I reckon he saw me and he saw the shirt because that writing is big. Yeah, yeah. It's a big shirt. shirt. <laughs> and it's a big shirt. And it, the, like I said, the, we had good seats. And what that means is that they're kind of like they're, they're front row just to the left, kind of. A, a performer, as long as the light shines on at the right moment, could probably see fairly well. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that far. And and I noticed that he was looking pretty often, especially that first night. So, um, Prince, if you're listening, yeah, you can answer the question. <laughs> Did you see us or not? <laughs> probably saw Peach and Black waving, and he's like, oh, no, oh, I'm not going to look here <laughs> <Yeah>. anymore. <laughs> oh, man, they're following me everywhere. Did he play You Got uh, the Look and he sang the line? Isn't that funny? He didn't play You... There was no You Got the Look at all. And no Peach. Oh. And, well, no, there was Peach. Was we'll get Peach. to that. Oh. Yeah, they, they played Peach, but, um, yeah, but no, You Got the Look. And I reckon he, I reckon Prince didn't play You Got the Look because he didn't want to say the line <laughs> Peach and Black <laughs> out loud. <laughs> After he saw the shirt, he was like, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> not going to be influenced by You know it. if he did, you'd just be like standing up, yeah. Yeah, I'd be going crazy. At some point, either in show two or show three, I think it might be show three, um, I actually yell out it, it, during the most quiet part that I could <laughs> that I could um, find, although it wasn't as quiet as I would have wanted. Endorphin machine! <laughs> as long as it wasn't like in the middle of a ballad. No, no, no. <laughs> Total silence in the crowd, and you in the middle of "Let's Go out. Crazy" solo outro. <laughs> no, no, it it was audible for the people around me, but I, I don't, I don't know if I don't think he heard it. Um, Did he play it? He didn't play it. No, no endorphin oh. machine. It would have been crazy if I would have heard that, especially after the request. But no, maybe they didn't hear it. Hey, if you want him to play your requests, just yell out, let's go crazy, kiss. <laughs> Guaranteed he'll play it. Don't you worry about that. Did you see that? I just asked for that one. And he played it. Wow. I just asked for Purple Rain. He never plays that, does he? <laughs> he heard me. 
<laughs> Actually, so hang on. Let, let's go through these shows one at a time. So give us your review of the first show. Okay. I want to start my thoughts about the first show by not even talking about the music per se. First thing I have to say is the sound. I have to comment on the sound. The sound was... In my, in my opinion, the sound was awful. And I don't mean awful as in, you know, just subpar or, you know, maybe it wasn't as good as it could have been from the point, from listener, a listenability point of view. It was awful. It was awful. It was awful in the, in, in the, um, in the physical sense, it hurt. My ears literally hurt. There came a point during the show where I was like, I- I'm out of here. I- like, I've got to go. I've been waiting for this show for so long. I can't believe I'm, you know, I'm, I'm at a Prince concert again and I'm literally thinking to myself what's the quickest way out of here and on the other hand I'm thinking but at the same time I was thinking oh I really don't want to I don't really really don't want to leave because I'm enjoying myself I'm having a good time so I, I had this internal dialogue with myself for probably half of the show and we stayed not to the end I actually left right as he was going into the guitar solo for Purple Rain which was I think the third last track and I missed if I was your girlfriend, which I was no a big bit, loss. No big loss. Well, I was a little bit disappointed about because it it's one of my favorite songs. And then but, Kiss to finish. But would it be a big loss if the sound was that bad? It wouldn't. And you know what? It's a bigger loss if you lose your hearing. Which, mm. which I, you know, I, I don't want to be a hypochondriac here, but uh, you know, I might have done some permanent damage to some degree. And and that's not you know exaggerating. I'm, I'm not exaggerating at all. And you, you, I don't know. I personally never really thought that much about my hearing but now after I mean this show has really prompted me to take it seriously so anyway I was putting in tissues into my ears rolling up tissues into little balls and putting mm. them into my ears to try and get some respite relief. yeah some relief from, from this it was I don't want to think about it now it's bringing a, it's, it literally is bringing up bringing back bad memories and I don't want this to sound like some terrible um, negative review is it, is it but, the, like the, the acoustics of the room or is it the sound guys setting it up because it's a festival they're changing between bands and it would be a combination or this is the thing I think it's a combination of everything you've said player and also things that that um, we don't know about or don't have information on because it, it seems to me like everything that could go wrong did it, it was really bad and and I know that the band and Prince they're on a they're on different um monitor you know, on the, setup on the, yeah. yeah on the monitor setup so they hear differently than, than we do but even he was having problems i mean 45 minutes into this show prince yells out in the middle of some song so that shows you how much he's enjoying playing playing the gig 45 minutes in he said he actually yells out something to the effect of come on guys start fixing this sound it hurts it hurts we're not going to play it hurts so it was obviously hurting his ears whatever he was hearing that's got to be yeah, you know, something. That's got to be disappointing, and it's got to be something serious. So the sound was just absolutely shocking. Yeah, I had read from other reviews that he actually apologized at one point. Is that again? I can't believe that this happened because an apology coming from Prince. I mean, are you kidding me? But yeah, he apologized on the second night for the oh, sound. Okay. For the sound the night before. The the thing is that he apologized. It was it was funny, you know. He <clears throat> he apologized. And he said, on behalf of our sound man, John, and the NPG. And I was thinking, but it would have been nicer if he said, I'd like to apologize for the... <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, in a way, I guess he's... he's Deflecting he's, responsibility. He's deflecting responsibility. And I don't know if this is a topic for this show or not. Probably for another night. 
Um, but you know, that's an interesting debate. What, what do people think? Is an artist ultimately responsible for the quality of the sound at a show? I don't know. It's... I can answer that right now. No. <laughs> no. I've, I've done shows where we're just constantly looking at the sound people saying, turn it up, turn it down, turn it, whatever it is. And it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. So okay. that's not to say it's their fault too. Like maybe there's something that we don't know. But, but can I ask you a question? If you went into a, okay, before the gig, right? Let's say you don't even have a, re- a sound check. Yeah. You might have the opportunity to speak to the sound guys, right? You might. Most if, of the time, yeah. If you said to them, guys, do whatever you, you know, do whatever it is that you do. Um, we're hoping for a good mix tonight. Um, if we have any issues, we'll let you know and hopefully let's try and work together. But can you guys just do one thing? Under no circumstance should the sound hit 100 decibels. Like, yeah. surely they could control something like that, right? Yeah. No, maybe not. To a point. It's hard to speculate, like because because the all the all the um, attendees they're going to absorb the sound. Yeah, I guess so, and the room and the. But I mean, that's the thing. Once once the crowds start coming and then they start playing, then the bodies will absorb the sound. So they're going to have to start like adjusting it to the crowd, maybe. Yeah, but that always happens, like at a yeah, show. Yeah, like, that people... always happens. But maybe that's something that's that's difficult for them. I anyway, I, I mean, I just can't believe that. Surely Prince isn't using inexperienced. Sound, sound guys, whether it's his sound person or not, that's the other thing, I don't know. But it, the other question is how much he worries about the quality of the sound or not. And, and Toe Jam's, like, hearing from what you're saying, it, it sounds like um, it's just a difficult thing to deal with. And uh, I, I don't know at all. I've got no idea. But it seems ridiculous to me that some sort of limitations, you know, can't be enforced or couldn't be enforced before a show or or indeed you know after a show if you're doing if you're doing three nights in a row it just seems a little bit strange supposedly someone um had some sort of measuring device at one of these prince shows and um some of the sound was peaking at between 115 and 120 decibels for for anyone that doesn't know how loud that is that's like a jet engine so it, it that literally is it's like standing next to a drummer smashing a crash cymbal. <laughs> it's insane, right? That's very, very, very loud. It's extreme volume. And I know, I mean, I don't want to be one of these, I don't want to uh, sound like I'm one of these uh, whinging uh, music fans or, or concert goers, but it, I mean, it, forget about enjoying the song. It was impossible to make it out at some points. I was like, yeah, if they move Generally, I think all shows, well, you know, the vast majority of shows are too loud. Like, mm. I don't know what it is, but, you know, people seem to think it has to be loud to be good. Like, I've never understood that. Like, I've never, I can't understand that logic at all. Like, it's one thing to have it, you know, big speakers if you've got a huge crowd, and I'm sure they did. But, I don't know, just probably 80% of the shows I see from all artists, if it's electrified, 80% of them are just, I just find them too loud. So. Well, I have to, I have to agree with you. When I think about most of the shows I see, um, the the degree to which they're they're too loud varies, but generally, yeah, they're, they're generally too loud. And you know what? If I compare the, the Prince show to the show that the tribute to Miles Davis that Marcus Miller did with Herbie Hancock, Wayne Shorter, Sean Jones, and and um, a couple of other guys, that sound was brilliant. Now I know different music, different size room, different audience, but man, did they! 
whether they knew it or not, their sound was impeccable. I mean, the distinction be- between the instruments, the soundstage, um, and the the volume itself. Now, I know it's jazz, so automatically that creates a, a different sort of acoustic space. But you know, there were parts during the Prince shows where they were, were they were playing some pretty jazzy stuff and some kind of more like, you know, uh, some some lighter music. It wasn't all guitar heavy, um, and it was just still terrible. So I don't know. It's it, it, no, the, general, the general consensus online when reading about that first show, it's it's all the same. Everyone was in agreement. They they all commented on the sound. Mm. And for it Prince to address just, it yeah. in the second show, then they knew it as well. So yeah, it's, and, not, it's not often he apologizes for anything. So <laughs> yeah, and I have to say, the second show was far from ideal as well. Um, I don't know that it was any less loud, actually. Uh, but the the mix was a lot better. Like <laughs> it was crazy. Just before I left that first show, um, he he goes into the Purple Rain guitar solo, and I couldn't hear it. Hmm. All I can see is the expression on his face, and you know the band's playing, people are moving around, and I can just hear like fuzz. Hmm. And like his fingers are moving quickly. He gets up to that part where I'm thinking, stuff this, I'm out of here. And then we just left. I was like. If I can't even hear the Purple Rain solo, what the hell am I doing here? I've probably already ruined my hearing permanently. This is ridiculous. And um, it was just... It was the strangest, most disappointing concert. And add to that that it was a Prince show. Probably the strangest, most disappointing experience I've ever had. <laughs> De- definitely at a Prince concert. But let's What about move... the actual the, the set list in the show? Like, well, for, forgetting the sound issue. Although that's impossible to do, I'll do it for the sake of this review. <laughs> so, Foxy Lady is the opening, and wow. um, that was a trip. That was pretty much the highlight for me, which is why I'm mentioning it. <laughs> Wait, just what, with the sound, did it was it good and then bad, or was it just bad all the way through? That first show, yeah. it was horrendous the entire way through. So, there was like no improvement. The only thing that made. was good was Foxy Lady. And I don't know what happened. It's as if they got the sound perfect. Uh, well, Foxy Lady was loud, the opening. And it, but, it was, but it was perfect. Like, everything else was good. And then the minute controversy started, everything just distorted. Like, the EQ was, like, all over the shop. It was ridiculous. Anyway, set list. Foxy Lady. I, didn't, I couldn't realize it at first. And then I just I was like, oh, yeah, Hendrix. Oh, wow, Foxy Lady. And then <laughs> it was hilarious because uh, someone came... Like, everyone was on stage, all the uh, musicians. And, but Prince wasn't. But someone's singing Foxy Lady. You know, it's obviously not Prince. And then we figured out it's Andy Arlo. But then someone comes out dressed really, really strangely in heels about Prince's height. And everyone thinks it's Prince. And then I just start pissing myself laughing when I figured out that it was actually Andy Arlo kind of dressed similar to Prince in a way, but obviously even more feminine. <laughs> Doesn't that sound funny? But she was like kind of like moving around and dancing and I reckon half the audience probably thought that was him and they were going absolutely crazy because um, remember it's a, it's, it's a festival so not everyone is a, is a hardcore Prince fan and, he's um, done that before though yeah, yeah. but even it, it even fooled me at first and then you know it became obvious and then he came in and they finished it up and then you know what like this is the thing I don't want to talk about the sound too much but if the sound wasn't as horrendous as horrific as it was, um, this show could have been pretty cool because it was like a, it was cover heavy. It was mainly covers. 
I think he played like five of his own songs or so, maybe slightly more. But that's not a lot of Prince music in a in a show. So it was really odd going from cover to cover to cover to cover to cover. Um, I think they did Pass the Peas from Memory um, and a few other things. Uh, the only other highlight for me was Marvin Gaye's Let's Get It On, sung by Andy with a really soulful guitar solo by Prince. Um, and oh. Pop Life. Sorry, Pop Life was another highlight for me because I just, you know, I love hearing that uh, One Night Alone version. I wouldn't have been happy with a set list mostly of covers. No, I wasn't. I could listen to strange. the radio and hear all those songs. I go to a Prince concert, you want to hear Prince songs. Yeah, it was odd. It really was odd. It was but odd. He's, but he's, it's not just his show. He's been doing so many covers, and it's getting more and more lately. There's but it's three nights. everywhere. It's three nights. Yeah. It's, it's materially got a feel. It's three nights, but, I mean, if he's assuming that everyone there is going to see him on for three nights... I don't know if that's the right assumption. There were people that was sit- there was one guy sitting next to me that had never seen him before, and he came with a friend of his with, who, who was a pretty big Prince fan. And before the show, this is the funniest. The guy's going like, he shouldn't have done this, but he did. He's like, you're going, you're you're in for a treat. Like if you've never seen this guy, like he's amazing. He's magnetic on stage and everything. The guy that I'm talking about actually left during the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know the gig must have really. <laughs> Must have really. Um, it was magnetic. It repelled him. <laughs> <laughs> think about yeah, think about the people who have never seen Prince. They only this was their first show, and they left halfway through. They're never going to see him again. Yeah, I don't know that it was okay. halfway through, but he did leave before the end. They're just going to have the worst memory of ever seeing Prince. They'll they'll never even bother again. Yeah, it's you know it's strange. I think I think Prince knew what he was doing. He knew that it was three nights and. The great thing about these three nights is that they were entirely different. I think he played one song twice in three days. That's very impressive. Especially, that's impressive even for hardcore Prince fans, I think. And you know there were guest stars? Uh, I don't know why he got Janelle on stage, since she did absolutely nothing. She was there for a Love Bizarre, and all she did was stand and play the tambourine and then got off stage. So that that was kind of mind-boggling to me. Like, why get someone on stage and then just have them just stand up, not, you know, play the tambourine? Um, for this, for the pure spectacle. That's why. Yeah, probably. Larry came on towards the end. I think they did they did a sly, a sly cover, um, and that was okay. But you know, I couldn't even hear his bass. Like, not hear properly. Like, I couldn't hear a note of his bass by that stage. By a love bizarre. Um, I think Larry came on after that. It was just fuzz it was just fuzz in my ears and they but there, there was one really cool part of this show america he, played Am- he finally played america no, no no just just the portion a snippet um but it was really obvious because prince was p- playing bass by that stage and he um he stepped on the fuzz and he did the uh, america riff on the bass mm. and, and that was just a bit of a trip as well and then the uh, Purple Rain after that, and that was it. So, look. At least it wasn't that much fuzz that you could hear what it was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. That's true. But look, my, my summary for that first night, sound issues aside, was great opening, like really exciting, great opening with Foxy Lady, and then it just became cover heavy. And you know what? The covers were okay, but it just wasn't a, a Prince show to me. And um, and outside of maybe Pop Life and uh, 
and that's about it. Pop Life and Let's Get It On. There really wasn't much else to um to do. A lot of them, a lot of the the um, versions were just loose jams as well, which is good. But they were just really loose, almost too loose. It had like an after show feel, and this was like the opening show, so it was really it was really strange. Uh, a lot of the background vocalists from Memory, you know, they were singing all over it. It, it just wasn't a it wasn't Prince heavy, which from from a Prince band's point of view isn't isn't ideal. And I'll I'll close this extremely long review with um, special mention of Maceo. He he just. He was Maceo Parker, but man, it hurt. <laughs> every, t- every time Prince called out Maceo during that first night, I was like, oh no, not again. I had to cover my ears. Mm. Let's open the show with that. <laughs> when Maceo came on, I had to cover my ears. That's how bad it was. It was just like piercing. But, but I mean, the addition of Maceo was good from the point of view that he really did spice up a lot of the songs and a lot of the arrangements. But I'll, I'll talk about Maceo a little bit more when we get into night two and night three I'll try and be more succinct but look night one I'll I'll just say this before we continue I was on the way back to the hotel from this show feeling very awkward not being able to hear very well not in a very good mood and also hearing from other people obviously you know my hearing wasn't good but I could still hear to some degree and what I was hearing from Prince fans and from other people that were that were coming back home on the train at like 4am in the morning was just the same sort of feedback, you know, terrible sound, uh, cover heavy, could barely hear stuff. Everything was just muddled. N- nothing spectacular about the show. I mean, not a, not a single breathtaking moment. That's a bit odd from a Prince show. I, I mean, I, I know it's, it's probably difficult to impress night after night and be, and be, you know, otherworldly every single night but it was just a bit I think it was a cut below what what people are used to when when your expectations are so high so um, I actually went into bed fell asleep with thought you know what I don't even know if I'm gonna go to the next two nights (laughs) wow that's that's literally and I'm not I'm not um coloring it up for the show here I'm not kind of trying to trying to sound um yeah, I, I, I get that. You'd be split between, do I really want to go back and hear that again? Or should I go back and hope that it's better? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. And you, like like Player said, I'm not trying to be sensationalist here. It was, I was talking about it to my partner. I was talking about it to other people the next day. And I was actually in two minds. I couldn't figure it out. I, and, and because there's so much other great music at the festival, I was, I, like that first night, I was absolutely spent by the time Prince came on stage. I was already tired. And I was like, yeah, do I really want to give up? Not, you know, Sleep. <laughs> yeah, and the plan was if you're going to go see Prince, get there a bit early, uh, later, sorry, miss a few of the other acts and kind of pace yourself. And I was like, oh, I want to see this person, that person. And the sound seemed to be uh, better for, for some of the other acts. And I couldn't believe I was saying this. I was thinking, the guys the guys back in Australia are going to think, I was thinking of you guys, I was thinking, they're going to think MC's crazy. <laughs> like, he's there. He's... We already know that. <laughs> <laughs> Toe Jam keeps telling me, keep, kept telling MC how lucky he is to, to go to these gigs if he only knew that he's thinking about not even going to the, to the, to the next two nights I'll do it for Toji <laughs> so anyway I got over that and, and I just thought you know what what am I thinking of course I'm going to go very worst thing can happen I'll go to the second night within 10-15 minutes if it's atrocious I can always make the choice to leave but before that you went on Facebook and you, you sent a message to Shelby J didn't you uh, I did, yeah. She was on Facebook and she was on chat, so I just... Um, you made it known about the sound. I definitely made it known. And yes. I, and Shelby, if you're listening, I hope I wasn't too 
forthright, but I just, uh, I stand by my word, as you can hear on the show. It was horrendous, and I let her know how bad it was. So um, I have to actually, thanks for mentioning that player, because a, a big shout out and a very, very big thank you to Shelby J for her response, uh, which was... She said she would pass the information on. Not only that, but she was, um, she sounded very uh, pleased to be getting that feedback, which I could perfectly understand because, you know, you, you don't want to put on a show knowing that something went wrong and you didn't have the opportunity to fix it. So um, so that was really good. We had we had a, a good chat on, on Facebook and went through a few things. And, and uh, at one point, I think I mentioned something like, you know, like, I think you guys were funky, but I just couldn't make it out. And <laughs> I hope they took it. Uh, I hope she took it well. Um, but, you know, that's, that's really how it was. Uh, uh, there's no reason to to try and, um, you know, uh, dilute the situation. It was it was terrible. She passed on the message and, you know, he apologised on night two and, and the sound was a lot better, so... If, if the sound at, on certain things was so loud it was just horrible and distorting, I can't imagine how bad it would have been when Shelby started screaming. Well, actually... And, and it's not only because... It's not only because... I was at the shows, but I've got a few um, uh, impressive things to say about Shelby and about Liv as well uh, during these shows, especially Ooh. without their third, the third uh, vocalist in the band um, who was not at these shows. There, there were some really good moments uh, by both of them, particularly by Shelby, especially on a song called Brown Skin, which I think is an India RA cover from, yep. from memory, on this, during the second and third shows. Everything was fine there. <laughs> mm. The um the Shelby the Shelby J show was was actually uh, welcomed. Uh, I I found myself I know on this show we we joke around a lot, but I found myself really kind of um, getting into it, getting involved. And I don't know whether it was the fact that I <laughs> had a chat with her on on Facebook the you know the day before or whatever, but it really got like the crowd pumping and the energy levels high. So. Um, you know, like it was almost like after Janelle, after experiencing that, it was really good to get that. You know, Prince did his Prince did his own thing as well, but getting even more energy from Shelby and from some of the other guys was pretty good, actually. So that's another little bit of feedback. So, what were the artists that you saw on the second day? Skip most people. So this will be a very short review. Um, I skipped most people and no got... Shaka, no, no um, Mavis, no, no Snoop Dogg. No. No Bootsy? Uh, no, Bootsy was night three. Oh, well, what the hell did you do on day two? Hold on a second. <laughs> uh, he was recovering with his eardrum. Okay. Day two, I had planned to see Amadou and Mariam. Mm-hmm. Met a bit of Sergio Mendes, then John McLaughlin. Yeah. Charles Lloyd Quartet, etc., etc. Roy Ayers. Didn't see anyone. Oh. Only got there at 10.30 at night. Even though even though doors open at four thirty, three reasons: number one, hearing bad; hmm. number two, tiredness, not good; and um, number three, uh, linked very closely to number two, woke up very late. So we got there at about ten thirty. Saw Seal. Man, I couldn't take any more after about three songs. It just the hmm. sound again. I'm sorry, but the sound wasn't very good. It was way too loud. Was that a different venue? And um, that, this was a different venue, yeah. Mm. Uh, but the sound was way too loud. And also, I don't know, so nothing drew me there. So um, his voice just it sounded really, really bad in the mix. 
So, had a few drinks, then went to see Candy. Hey. Candy was great. Candy was great. And some band she's got, too. I know very little about them, but um, great Chance band. Is, Chance is still in the band? Chance is still in the band, yeah. Awesome. Uh, and they did a great instrumental cover of uh, that Alicia Keys song. I always forget what it's called. The New York... Mm-hmm. Empire State of Mind. Empire State of Mind. Great cover of that. With a guitar solo by whoever that guitarist is, that compl- like jaw- jaw-droppingly good guitar solo <laughs> on this track that like blew every guitar solo that I heard the day before by anyone, including Prince, out of the water. I was like, man, not only is this guy, not only is this guy played a better solo than Prince did the entire night before that, but I can actually hear him. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. And then we finished up there, caught a little bit of trombone, shorty. Hey. For who, for whoever that, if anyone doesn't know this guy and his band, check him out. Check him out. They are yeah. incredible. Yeah, he's, out of this world. He's played with Lenny too. He's still playing with him, is he? I think so. Mm. Uh, I don't think Lenny's touring at the moment. He's pushing oh, okay. his new album. So yeah, Trombone Shorty, great. And then it was time for night number two. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to say about this night, honestly. Are you talking about Seal stuffing up the lyrics to Mountains? <laughs> Let's not go into that. <laughs> That's self-explanatory. This was a, an entirely different experience. I I was sitting... Uh, we, we took our seats probably 15 minutes before Prince came on. And I was sitting there. The, the atmosphere was strange, to say the least. I noticed a few people that were there from the first night. Uh, I'll just say one other benefit of having seats is you can turn up five minutes before the show starts. That was the other ha- thing. And not have to stand there for three hours to hold your spot <laughs> if you're standing. And I if freaking hate that. You, you, you know what, Captain? You're right in that department. And also, if you've got good seats or you know that you've got seats you're going to be happy with, that's also the benefit. You don't have to be pushed around and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So here, here I am, 15 minutes before night number two, second Prince show at North Sea Jazz Festival, and I'm feeling really awkward. The atmosphere there is strange. People aren't, aren't, don't seem as excited as they were the first night. Um, because they were there the first night. <laughs> <laughs> and they were expecting the same. There's, um, there's no, like they were chanting on the first night, clapping or, you know, doing the Mexican wave. Night number two, none of that. Like, there's just, the atmosphere is very kind of subdued. <laughs> Obviously, a few people are in party mode, but by they're, and large... They're all dead. By, <laughs> I couldn't even hear anything. By, by and large, people are just kind of hanging around. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, man, I hope this is going to be at least uh, all right. I hope it's going to be okay. Because not not just from a sound point of view, but I hope there's more Prince songs. And I hope that he really puts on a show. Because after night number one, I'm... I'm Talk about, you know, get on the boat. I'm talking about getting off the bus here. Like, this is just... Oh, I just wasn't excited. I wasn't feeling it. And I was like, you know what? I wish Toe Jam or Player or Captain were here so that they could take my place because they'd probably be like, you know, going off their heads. Yeah, we're about to see a Prince gig. I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't I didn't think I, I wanted to be there. Anyway, the show begins with some piano chords and some piano playing by Cassandra O'Neill. And I'm thinking to myself... I think I recognize this song. <laughs> oh, hold on. I do recognize... It's a song I like. It's a song I've never heard live before. And all of a sudden, this m- just massive smile appears on my face as I realize that it's joy and repetition. And I think to myself, okay, I don't want to get too excited here, <laughs> but this is a good sign. And again, not going to go into the whole set list, but 
pound for pound, this could be, I haven't decided yet, but it could be the best Prince show I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow. I'm not talking about like, you know, footage or whatever. I'm talking about the best show I've ever attended. Even cool. better than Moncho. Could be. Wow. I wonder if part of that is just the fact that you'd had such a bad experience on night one that Could. the expectation is, you know, the, the way your expectation works. You expected it to be horrible and then it was okay, yeah. but compared to last night, it was great. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best show ever. Whereas with night one, you're going in with the expectation of Montreux. So. Yeah. Yeah, with night one, definitely going with a massive expectation um, and leaving with a massive headache. Y- you know, you guys could be right, who knows? But Because uh, that, that thought did cross my mind afterwards as well. But there's only one factor that kind of puts that theory all out of whack. That it, it, like he was, he, was out of, he was playing and performing out of his skin. It was so obvious, regardless of the first night, regardless of any other shows that I've seen, and regardless of a lot of other shows that I've seen footage of or heard one way or another, um, that he was just playing out of his skin. And there was, a, there was a charisma on stage that I haven't seen personally in any shows that I've been to, including Montreux. I mean, Montreux was great. Musically, musically was incredible and everything, but it was just, it was a solid, it was an exceptional performance, but it was like a, just a solid set list here. There was like, there were signs of the old prince coming back here at, at during certain sections, even including joy and repetition. What can I say about this night that uh, hasn't you guys haven't read on the forums? Dear Mr. Man, because um, he hasn't played that for a few years, was that a, pro- a full proper version? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, Dear Mr. Man was a full version, and and the way it started was, was insane because you just see Prince strapping on the bass, and I'm thinking, oh, cool, I've never seen Prince on the bass before. Number one, number two. I wonder what he's going to play, and then he goes into the and I'm thinking, oh, this is cool. That they're doing um Sly, and then they start with him. He starts with the, with the Dear Mr. Man lyrics, and that was the first time that I realized how similar the bass lot, the bass part from Dear Mr. Man is to to um If You Want Me to Stay. Okay, it's actually pretty similar, but. Prince if was I like, was there and he started the Dimmest Man lyrics, I wouldn't even know what song it was because I barely even know what that <laughs> song is. It would have took me a long time to figure M- it out. Musicology, Captain? No? <laughs> I don't think I've listened to that since, <laughs> since the review. Oh, me. Yeah, since the review. <laughs> since the review, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dear Mr. Man was an was unexpected crowd pleaser, especially in the first few rows. <laughs> a lot of the diehard fans were like, what? He's pulling that out. The big one that I'm looking at now in the set list is when we're dancing close and slow. Oh man, that's got to. Has he? Did he ever perform that back in the old days? I don't recall it. Maybe he did. I don't think so. Wow, that was that's pretty special. That was incredible. That that was like spine tingling. It was um, it was really odd as well because you know it's from his first album, and the rarity of it. Again, I I can't think of things to say. That's actually a positive thing because when I think of things like when we're dancing close and slow, dear Mr. Man, and then it makes the, you speechless. It does. It, I really am because it's taking me back to that to that night, and it was it was incredible for for every reason. It was just insane. But that I have to say, the joint repetition opener, mind blowing. What just, about colonized mind? Mind blowing. Mind blowing. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll get to the guitar bit. The the, the guitar set. Uh, in a second, but it was insane. But uh, but I mean, join repetition as well. The guitar. Like, this is the thing. Night number one was really missing like guitar solos from from for me. 
and joint repetition was awesome because Maceo Parker came in and then the, the way that Prince started his guitar solo at the end of that track was he, he basically played like the the last note that Maceo played was Prince's intro into the into the guitar solo and he kind of like he takes it over from him mm-hmm. if it's just incredible and then he goes into this master solo but just the the performance of that track was insane the emotion and the screams and every every kind of traditional prince element what, everything that he's known for came out and then it went into the love we make and i'm thinking hang on hang on before you go on has there really ever been a horrible version of joy and repetition probably not. i mean when i think of all the times he's played it in the last five or so years it's always been great it's yeah. always been a really good version i think he only plays that when he's really feeling like playing that song and when he feels like playing that song you know it's going to kick ass anyway yeah and i think when he feels like playing that, that particular song he probably is in a, a specific place yeah so you know yeah if the show starts off with that you know it's going to be a, a decent show yeah and i was not gonna be awful i was surprised and you know what and the good the other good thing about it was the sound was a lot better you could hear it you could hear it and you could really like hone in on the bass and then on the on the on on, uh morris's uh like organ sounding keys and all that it's ridiculous and then uh, when you think it can't get any better there's a slight little uh segue almost by andy arlo singing um an unidentified number, and then got, they go into the love we make, and I'm thinking, holy crap! First two songs, Joy Repetition and the Love We Make. Am I like the greatest show ever? <laughs> I, I mean, I know we we've talked about on the show about those two songs fairly often, I think, yeah. and and then I'm hearing it, and I'm, thinking, I'm just pinching myself, and that was an incredible version as well. Then they went into Mountains, Seal guesting on that. Let's not talk about that. It was pretty <laughs> funny though, the way that that Prince kind of. Took him off stage, which I think was the right thing to do. Um, so no offense, Seal, but um, yeah, there, I, again, I won't go through all the set list. You guys can read it and um, read about it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it was just hit after hit after hit, mostly Prince songs, which was a, a highlight. Mountains was good. Uh, then they then Prince on the bass, and uh, they did a couple of sly numbers. But the oh, three quarters into the show, there. The undisputed highlight, the undoubted <laughs> highlight, was the uh, five-song guitar set. Ridiculous. The heaviest I've ever heard him sound in my life. Like, I know he's played these songs before, but I've never heard them this heavy. Like, guitar, ridiculous. I like it there. Completely surprised. You heard I like it there? Yeah. You're a bastard. Yeah, I like it there. It was like... Oh, my God. I like it there. It was incredible because it was heavier than on the album. Like, heavy. I'm talking, like, ridiculously heavy guitar. And it it started distorting at one point, And I couldn't figure out... I was like... I was actually liking it. I was like, why am I not even, like, upset? This is... This is awesome. Hmm. It sounds like... It's not the sound guy. He's actually distorting it because his guitar's on fire. It's like really, really heavy. And then after guitar and I like it there, I'm just sitting there not believing my eyes or my ears. And all of a sudden, I hear the opening chords to Colonize Mine and I just think, oh my God, I think I'm at the greatest show of all time here. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are the what are the odds of hearing that song live? And and it's a slightly different arrangement, hard to describe, but and I, mainly because I can't remember it, but I remember it being kind of a little bit more mellow 
and the guitar solo is obviously like on the spot, different and original. And, and by the way, this set is just Prince John and and Eda. Cool. Mm. There's no one else. It's like the trio. Uh, and then and then after Colonized Mind, straight into the morning after. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. What? What's he thinking? He wasn't thinking of you. Oh. He was thinking of something else. Let me put it this way. Bambi. Yeah. With, Bambi. With, with all the lyrics? With all the lyrics, including when my emotion ejaculates uh, uh, onto the floor. floor. Word for word. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, what the hell's going on here? Mm. What the hell? Prince has got emotions? <laughs> and they're ejaculating? No, that's, that's a joke. <laughs> and and Hang on, is, isn't that in I like it there? Oh, hold on, you're right. Yeah, you're right. What are you doing? I don't know. It's I'm completely, I'm completely in awe. But you see, he did say that line, and it was only two songs earlier. So I'm still kind of, yeah, that's right. No, but in Bambi, there's another, there's another line that he said that is kind of salacious. Anyway, there was a lot of that going on in show number two. Bambi was incredibly heavy as well. And he was loving it. And Ida was loving the bass parts as well. Um, John was banging away on the skins. Great version. And the last probably 30 seconds just rips it. He just rips into Bambi. And the, the, the riffs we all know and love came back. And then it was right after that they, they apolo- he apologized for the sound. And then they went into Peach. But the first four or five minutes of Peach is the rhythm parts. Uh, Peach through and through. But he's actually singing Johnny Be Good instead of the lyrics to Peach. So that really? was a really strange oh, thing. Yeah, I guess that could work. It was a really strange thing, but it made me realize how standard of a song it is in, mm. in a way, you know? And then the sec- so like Peach goes for nine minutes. The first four and a half are Peach instrumental with Johnny Be Good. And the second half is, again, the same. So he basically played, he played Peach twice, which was kind of cool. And then... Um, I have if- to hear that song live. Yes, you do. And I've heard it twice. Oh. I loved it every <laughs> minute. I have to say, although this second night, I'll just finish this review, otherwise we'll be here all night. Basically, conclusion of second night, incredible. Beyond even what Prince normally plays like. I mean, he was playing out of his skin. Just, I don't know what else to say. It was just, everything was there. The charisma, the screams, the moves, the guitar playing. Guitar was on fire beyond Montreux guitar playing for rawness like sure he played some cool licks in Montreux but this was just really getting into it and um you know this this was almost like maybe it got to him maybe the feedback about the sound I don't know but he yeah he could have been he could have been making it up for the night before yeah there was I mean starting off with joint repetition is a good start to make up yeah great start and uh and the end was really high energy as well um he played a couple of songs off Purple Rain. Beautiful. I'm, I'm guessing he paid a lot more attention to Soundcheck on the second night. Yeah, if they had one. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, this was great. And Maceo, I have to say, this, the, the other thing before we go into night number three, Maceo was great on night number two and so soulful. Uh, he gets a lot of props for for being a funk player, but I personally think that a lot of his um a lot of his more soulful playing is uh, is as good. I'm running out of superlatives to um to throw it at night number two. It's good, and you know what, fans, hardcore fans, um, that I met before the show actually. So it was really cool meeting up with with a lot of the guys that not only people that I met at Montreux, but 
but uh, people that you hear about on the forums, etc., etc., that were just saying that this second show was was one of the best shows they they had seen, not ever, but in the last couple of years. And I agree with that. Oh yeah, you've still got to say, you know, how many people came up and go, oh, pitch and black. A few. <laughs> the reception was three. lukewarm. Like there were, yeah, <laughs> two or three, pretty much. Literally three. <laughs> uh, one. Let me just count exactly. One guy came up to me while I was ordering food. Two people came up to me while I was ordering food. Then there was one person in the audience. Yeah, so three, three people. Did you three get people? And then no, <laughs> I didn't get heckled. <laughs> so yeah, night two. Indescribable. I became a fan again. It was like being reborn. <laughs> It was you, lost, you lost it on the first night. You back in the second night. Back, back with a vengeance on the second night. It was just like I felt sorry for the guy that only saw him the night before. I was like, oh man, he really needed to be here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> See what it's really like. So yeah, that was that. So the third day, what artist did you see during the day? Okay, this was this was different because we got there a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. I saw Doctor John who was cool. He was in the right place at the right time. Raphael Sadiq, who put on a really good show. He was way more charismatic and entertaining than than I thought uh, he would be. And a really tight band as well. Is Uh, is he set more like 60 Soul driven? Yeah, it is. That and then... uh, He's on that kind of vibe now at the moment. He is. uh, He was playing a lot of stuff off his new album, Stone Rollin', including the title track. And so a lot of that was that. But also some uh, R&B stuff mm-hmm. from some of his earlier albums. Uh, so it was pretty good, actually. Most most of the crowd were digging it. Then saw a little bit of Richard Bonner and Raul Midon, which was really cool. Uh, and then the tribute to Miles, which was very good, but very strange as well. Um, which is not a negative comment. Uh, I mean, Ma- Marcus uh, Marcus Miller. Coordinate, I guess, coordinated and, and programmed it and, and rehearsed it and all that with, with some pretty big players: Herbie Hancock, like I mentioned earlier, Wayne Shorter, Sean Jones on the trumpet, um, trying to do his best Miles impersonation, and everything went well. But it was just it, like a massive jam session almost. It wasn't as if they like played cover songs. So that was really cool to hear. And um, at the end of the show, Marcus alluded to that slightly by saying, "Look, you know, we tried to." use some of the spirit of Miles as well to just kind of make up our own stuff on the spot. We didn't want it to be just like a, a tribute show, so that made a lot more sense when I when I heard it. Um, Marcus is, is a good player, um, but I have to make one comment before we move on to Bootsy and then Prince to finish it up. His, it seems to me like, even though he doesn't say much, it, it's like he, he's got a massive ego on him. And I don't know if it's, if it's just me. I'm not I'm not that familiar. I, I get in it. I get that impression from him as well. But like his bass, just uh, and uh, off the off the back of what I just said, his bass was turned up way way louder than all of the other accompanying instruments. Like way louder than Shorter's sax and um, soprano sax, and uh, way louder than Herbie's piano and keyboards and sound effects. Herbie was hilarious. Like, the guys are playing, and Herbie go, <laughs> goes to, a, to his electronic keyboard and starts, like, hitting the keys, but, like, these weird voice sound effects started coming up. <laughs> like, women's voices and, like, little bells and whistles and ding-dongs and stuff. And mm. a couple times, like, you could see Marcus looking at him, like, shaking his head, and Herbie started pissing himself laughing and then stopped playing. But I don't know what was going on there, so... Marcus' bass was just so loud. I was thinking, what, kind of like, I'm the star of the show, look at me? That's the, that's up. how I interpreted it. Mm. I, I I don't know if that's true or not, but it was it was a bit odd. 
it was a bit odd. Nothing else gave me that impression, but just kind of his demeanor and the, the fact that his bass was like way louder. Although, if he really wanted to showboat, he could just solo every five minutes, and he didn't. I think there was like one bass solo in an in an hour performance. So maybe um maybe it's just me. But he was great, actually. He was great. Uh, second only to Larry Graham for I think most soulful bass performances. It, that was a great show, and that was a what they call a plus concert. So you had to pay a little bit extra for that to get seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, worth worth the money and uh, then there was Bootsy who was great except 20 minutes into the show Bootsy disappears <laughs> he went out the back with Snoop that's yeah, probably <laughs> and uh, and so did I I disappeared I left I, I left the place after that uh, so if he's out the back who's who's on the stage just his band and like Shelby J equivalents why why was there any reason why he left I don't know but I left and I heard from people that were there that like, the show went for, like, an hour and ten, and after 20 minutes, he left for about 20 minutes, and I only came back, so I was like, I left at the right time. So that was that, but it was really cool to see Bootsy. He jammed on the bass a little bit, but he's a character, like, the way he was dressed and everything was just... Yeah, he's larger than life, actually. Yeah, very, very funny. Yeah. And then, of course, it was on to night number three. You know, after night number two, I thought, there's no way this show gonna, is going to be in the same league, like... It's impossible. <laughs> you know what? It it got pretty close. Wow. Like, yeah, it, it was. The set list looks pretty pretty good, actually. Just looking through it now. Yeah, it was also mind blowing. The first hour was the most mind blowing because, um, again, I'm not going to go through every song, but they opened with "Lay Down," which was a real treat to hear, and that song is an amazing opener. Since I got back to Australia uh, on my iPod, I've changed the order of the 2010 album. It now opens up with lay down and then goes through the rest of it. And if you do it, try it. Trust me. It just makes such a difference on that album. <laughs> I don't it know. Just... This, this live version he's doing, though, the one he, I'm guessing it's the same as the way he played it on um, Lopez. Yes, very similar. I just don't like that when it just changes speed. It just sounds a bit too forced to me. Hmm. I didn't... Maybe if you're there and you're like, you know, the energy's flowing and everything. But That's what it is. The energy, the energy makes it because his guitar... His guitar work was um like like as it was on Lopez it was just you know I don't know out of this world it's just ridiculous so that was really good and the energy was there and the adrenaline was 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 pumping so it was a it was a massive opener to the night and then they went into Question of You which was I have to say probably one of my lowlights of the sh- of the show because the first two or three minutes was good then he went into that gingerbread man thing and I've never heard that before (laughs) that just went on and on and on and it didn't seem to make any sense to me and I was even thinking about leaving for a bathroom break at that point but I was like no this is too good good something good's about to happen so I stayed the next like 45 minutes to an hour was mind blowing Um, I, I have to read this out because it's just that good when I lay my hands on you Enough said there. Oh, great version and completely different to Montreux as well. So he's really having fun with the arrangement there, but the passion in his vocals on this track was ridiculous. It was, you know, like it's one of those moments where the, the, the hairs on your neck stand up and you're thinking, wow, I'm witnessing like one of the all time great performers again, you know, right after night number two, just singing and performing out of his skin and the guitar was great and everything then they went into brown skin great guitar playing from prince on i'm so happy that i witnessed like an after show this is this is after show quality prince basically 
Mm. Like when he just absolutely goes loose. And I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm I'm witnessing this at a, at a normal show. So I feel really lucky. And he played Empty Room? Empty Room goes into Calhoun Square. Oh. Goes into People Pleaser, which is a really funky track. Then goes into She's Always In My Hair. (laughs) What, the the quick two-minute let's get it over and done with version? The two-minute and 40-second version, because I counted, (laughs) which was actually kind of enough. I knew I wasn't going to get long, but it, it, it... I got my fix into future soul song, one of the best songs I think he's he's come out with in the last few years, and then into girl, uh, jazzy version, yeah, the B side. Like he he did it like a year or two ago, didn't he? I had heard reports, yeah, but I think it was like on an on acoustic guitar. This was like this was like post Jehovah's Girl. Yeah, this was this was risque girl version, especially with some of the interplay between Andy and him. Very, very suggestive to say the least. I mean, basically, I, I was ready to, to scream out, just get a room <laughs> <laughs> on stage. It was it was very, very risque. But I mean, how can you imagine how I felt hearing empty room again? The emotion in the vocals on night three on, on almost every song was brilliant. He was having a great time, but feeling it as well. Calhoun Square? Who hears that at a main show? Mm. Are you kidding me? Mm. And the crowd was actually liking it. But, you know, I noticed that during some of these songs, the a lot of people that, that were seated, I had a quick look around me, didn't... I don't think they knew some of these songs. Um, so the reception wasn't maybe as good as some of his... Obviously, some of his more well-known uh, hits material, like the hits material. But the reception downstairs, like for virtually everyone standing, was awesome. It was a great, great, great set. Finished with yeah, some classics. One I've got to ask about hmm. is um, something in the water. In the water, yeah. I've got to ask about that. Okay, what do you want to know? Well, was it it's, good? It's <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. Well, this okay. Something in the water was was very similar to Girl, not in the arrangement, but just because it was such a different version from what you're used to hearing. Girl was like a jazz number, like it had the dun 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 dun. dun. And then he starts singing Girl, that kind of like walking bass line. Uh, so Girl had a walking bass line. Something in the Water, again, was a very different arrangement. It was slightly jazzed up, had a kind of jazzy feel. But by and large, it was piano and vocal. Ah. So it's very, very different from what's on the 1999 album. Uh, different arrangement, different vocal arrangement in particular. Uh, Cassandra on the keys doing some nice work. And uh, how do I put this? Like an eerie version, actually. Kind of eerie, very interesting. One of the highlights of night number three. I'd say with the with the guitar-heavy section again, with Empty Room, Calhoun, and She's Always in My Hair, and then Girl and Something in the Water. Those were the two like kind of main highlight highlights for me. So so yeah, and I think it, they were for the for the hardcore fans as well. Like how strange is that to, to just pluck that out of the water towards the end of the show? Yeah, cool. really really cool. And you played uh, Party Man. Yeah, bits of Party Man, and then they went oh, into not, the not the proper version. Just no, nah, no, nah, like half a minute of it or something. Oh, forget it. And then they went into. Um, I, I got really excited when Party Man came on, and then I thought, oh, well, you know what's going to happen from here because I could sense like he wasn't he got off the vocals for a bit and then they just jammed on the melody and then they went into controversy let's go crazy let's go crazy was really strange it was like double speed I've never heard that before ever like basically oh so this, should, this is huh so it should be <laughs> you know what I've done with yeah <laughs> 
that <laughs> that's sense. where the energy's at. Yeah, but I find like, that when he plays it like that, it's it's a lot better when it's faster. Yeah, yeah. And the crazy thing about that, pardon the pun, but the crazy thing about that was that obviously it was double time, but everything's double time. And I know I'm talking about obvious things, but his guitar to get that let's go crazy guitar riff into double time is pretty hectic. Like he's he's riffing like a madman. Uh, he's going crazy, and uh, it was it was great to hear that energy was really high. But I have to make one comment. After Girl, like they, they, they finished Girl and then there's just silence and there was a bit a bit of confusion kind of, it looked like there was confusion on the stage. He was walking up to different people, talking to them about stuff and I didn't know where they were going to go with this and then all of a sudden he comes back and he's like, John, give me the kick and, and um, John starts the kick drum and then Prince says words to the effect of, okay, keep it going. We ain't going to stop that kick until... You know, like, we're going to keep that kick going. We ain't going to stop. That's it. Keep that kick going for the rest of the night. Basically, went, the kick went from Party Man to The Other One For Me to Controversy to Let's Go Crazy to Delirious to 1999 and all the chants and little jams in between. Ooh. The kick literally didn't stop. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, John's been playing the kick for, like, six songs <laughs> without any breakdown. Like... Let's go crazy. There was no breakdown. It's like the kick is just still going. The only, actually, the only part that it did stop, I think it did stop for Prince's guitar solo, or maybe it didn't. Yeah, the kick was just on fire. John was on fire. I didn't see much of him, but but you could hear him rumbling throughout the entire the entire hall. And then they finished up with some classics, the the, the usual medleys and all that kind of stuff. The moldy oldies. The moldy oldies. Nothing Compares to You was particularly good particularly really? good. I really prefer the arrangement that he's doing on this tour and over the last year or two in comparison to most of the arrangements of that track. So that's really good. And Shelby was very soulful on night three. Very surprising. She really surprised me. With um, now, now a bit of a fan of this Shelby J? I mean, I, she was... Converted? She was, she was good. She was good live. Like, she was really good live. And, and, um, and I think what made it good is that she sang. There was... Like doing the shout outs. Yeah, there was a little bit of shout out with Lay Down just mm. at the beginning. And maybe once or twice just said something something like, you know. I read get, that on the forums get, as well. A lot of, a few people were saying that that Shelby really? seemed to take a step back compared mm. to what she has been. So I wonder if that's a deliberate thing or whether it's just the fact that Andy's in the band now and she's kind of a main visual female focus. Yes, she is. Mm. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, and and if that's the case, great, great news. Because um, that's the thing. Like I just realised over these two nights, I'll say two because the first night I didn't really hear anything. Shelby, um, Shelby's a, a very good vocalist, I feel, and and even her vocals were, like I said, more soul, more so, soulful. They weren't um, distorting. It wasn't. It wasn't over the top. So uh, yeah. Props to props to Shelby on at these North Sea jazz shows. Even I, I realized really liked it when she first was on the scene. I really liked the sound and everything, but then it did get a bit too much in the world, like the American leg. Give us a score out of ten. I know oh, you don't wow. like scores for each night. Oh yeah, well, you're not going yeah, to do this up, to me, are up. you? Give us a yeah overall wrap up. Uh oh. Um, Okay, night number one. I'm taking all factors into account. Night number one out of ten. No, nah, I'm leaving night number one till last. Let's do night number two first. I can't score that night. It's it's uh, that night is terrible. <laughs> night number two. Can I say eleven? Wow. Why not? Get a grip, MC. Night number two. T- 
10 out of 10 11 out of 10 if I could if I could say that um third night third, 9 out of 10 third night yeah probably like a 9 out of 10 first um, night would be 1 <laughs> 1.5 Captain scoring my nights for me. You're not that. You're not that far off. I just. I, I want to leave night one um, in the past. And not applicable. Mm. I don't even want to score it. It's not going to do it any favors if I do. Night one sound atrocious. Let me leave it there. I can't. I can't even score it. It was just terrible. What else can I say about these shows? Not much. Uh, I have to include the first one, you know, because it happened. But these three shows together were brilliant. I have to say, they were really, really good. And, you know, I wonder about, especially show number two and number three, I'm sure the first night and the sound issues and everything, I'm sure the guys could tell that the audience wasn't that into it. You'd have to as a performer. So maybe that was a factor. But I also think the fact that it was a jazz fest, that it was a festival, a music festival in any case, made a difference because when you look at this lineup and you look at some like the pedigree of artists that are playing here i would i would think i would guess that a, an artist such as prince would would think to himself you, you know we it's it's an ego thing but it's also a you want to you want to outdo the other musicians you want to outdo the other band and you want to be the talk of the town at the end of the night and he certainly was after night one for all the wrong reasons but then night two and night number three, he blew. And this was this was the interesting thing from a fan point of view. Like, he blew. He bl- he blew everyone out of the water. <laughs> he blew everyone out of of the water. Like what was like, the, said, like the reaction from non non fans? Non. I'm not sure because I didn't really speak to any non fans or or not too many that I can remember. But yeah, there were some great acts there. And he, and when I think about it. His performance on night two and night three was so far beyond any other performance that I saw or even heard about at this festival that it's ridiculous. Like, it's it's amazing to me to think that this guy, even at this stage in his career, when he really straps his boots on and, you know, like, puts the effort in... Turns it out. He's incredible live. And, and you know, so much better than... It's subjective because I'm a Prince fan, but still... Mm. It's just it's a massive difference to me, you know. Musicianship, fine. There's some. I I would have seen better musicians than than people in his band during the course of the festival, but he turns it out. He just turns the whole thing out. So big success. I can't believe I was there. And um, yeah, what else to say? Moving on. What else is happening in the Prince world? Well, I want to talk about Andy Allo a little bit and this um, acoustic guitar version of guitar. Mm, that's sprung you, has up everyone heard that page. The, yeah. the the iPhone version. Mm. Unfortunately, yeah. I, well, that's the thing. It's I've said this in a few forums. Like, it's interesting that he's allowing this kind of thing to be to be released and out there because it's not something he normally does. But it begs the question: Is it worth putting out there? Because to me, it's it's just a rough rehearsal recording. It almost that, sounds like he's teaching her. Yeah, how exactly. To play the song that's. Yeah, exactly. It sounds to me like, oh, okay, hey, Andy, we need to run through the song guitar. Like, here's, you know, let's just put the recorder on. You can take it home and, and rehearse it. Practice you know. it, yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. And, like, it's from a collector's point of view, that's really interesting to hear that kind of stuff. But is it really worth putting out to the public? Like, I don't know. Well, do you think he knows it's out? Well, that's the question. Oh, that's, surely that's, he would know. Yeah. Surely he would know. I don't know about that. But then there's also the, um, the Stratus it... recording as well that's just come out. It's making noise, and that's 
whether yeah. you like it or not, it, it is making some sort of noise in the... If you were a non-Prince fan and you heard this, would that change your... Would that even remotely get you to change your opinion? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. No. It's just, like, if, there's nothing to it. Yeah. If I heard that, I'd be like, what is this? I but, think um, more more interesting than the actual song itself is the data within it. Yeah, uh, see, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not too sold on that. I reckon it's just not not leading to much at all. The the LC, the LC. But even like, okay, let's just say that there is a new album called the LC or whatever the LC stands for. It's basically saying that this song is on that album, which it wouldn't be. But yeah, for all we know, the yeah. LC is just the name of a file that, like, mm. a, you know, a file name. Or the, fo- or the folder that it was in. Yeah, that, that's not it. The folder. Like, yeah. I don't think it... It could be absolutely there. nothing. But those tags, you would have to physically type that in? Or would LC, it just automatically... LC. I think you'd have to type them in. LC stands for learning chords. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. That's possible. It could be absolutely nothing. The learning chords file. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, she's, she's an artist yeah. in her own right, and I think Prince is really digging that, but... To incorporate her in the show... As a guitarist. Yeah, she's, he's got to give her some sort of role other than sticking an easel on the stage and her colouring in. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I, sh- I should also mention that uh, every night, probably two or three songs were actually sung by her lead line. Mm. Lead vocal. Yeah, like, I don't know, I haven't... What do you, what do you think of the vocals then? I haven't heard that much. You know what? <sighs> this is a tough one. I like... I like her vocals because of the quality of her voice. Not quality as in Michael Bolton style. Not that she doesn't hit, it, <laughs> you know, she doesn't hit every note perfectly, kind of thing. But it's 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 more just the timbre of her voice. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Like that sort of quality. So I, I don't know. I just get this impression that she's very like a free spirit, very artsy, very artistic. Well, and to me, I, I'm going to say it. To me, she just seems like a very young, impressionable person. I mean, she's getting some pretty mixed reactions online as well. Like, a lot of people I mean, are saying that she's the new Wendy. You know, she's, in, you know, Princess I've heard, like Wendy. And I can kind of see that a bit. She wasn't great at the start. Yeah, I think she got better throughout her career. But when she first started with Prince, I don't think she was amazing. I think the more accurate comparison, a lot of people are saying that she's like Yoko. She's the Yoko Ono of, um, <laughs> of to Prince. Mm. Maybe. Could you know, the, the drawings and, you know, Yoko's not really that good on the instruments or whatever but hmm. but you know, and and the the kind of infatuation there between the two it's pretty interesting or, or at least at least the supposed infatuation or attraction or whatever like it it, it well, he's really pushing on there's a lot of photos together it's it's quite overt but i just wonder we are 2.0 you can potentially you, you can just never know though but, again i i think that she definitely adds to the band from a live point of view because you know when she takes over the vocals for a quick cover or a quick interlude or whatever I don't know when I, there, there was something fresh about it maybe it's just because it's there's a new voice and instead of Liv and Shelby and, and um, uh, Elisa I don't know I don't know what it was but I, I found myself thinking oh this, this, this girl's not bad I'm trying to remember what it was it was let's get it on she sounded pretty good on um, like her voice the, the thing about her voice is it's it's seductive mm-hmm. it's got that seductive quality so on a ballad like let's get it on it sounds okay but I wouldn't go so far as to say she's a great singer well we'll see what happens 
I have to mention one last thing about Andy, though, and that is she could be bringing out sides of Prince that we haven't seen for years because there were parts during songs during all three nights where where he was really risque, and I'm not saying, you know, just a word here or, or a move here or whatever. He was much more risque than he's been for, for a while. I'll just leave it there. But that's been happening over the last year or two, I'd say. He's yeah, but, you know, when, when there's a young 21-year-old to impress, sometimes yeah. you go a little bit further. Yeah. Anyway. What's, your, what's everyone's feeling on the French TV appearance? I liked it, mostly. It wasn't bad. It wasn't. I didn't think it was the best performance, but I thought it was respectable. I think it was quite good. You know how we've been saying, especially Captain, about the bands becoming more and more anonymous. He definitely made it a point of giving everyone a solo. Yeah. John Blackwell got one. Morris. I was even really um, impressed by Cassandra's solo on DMSR. Like she it was kind of loose, wasn't it? Was, like yeah, it was kind of a jam, and it's good to see because normally his TV performances are really, you know to the point and everyone yeah. knows exactly what's happening at any given moment but it, it seemed a bit looser and, and impromptu and I think I thought that was good but then having said that I didn't think it was as tight as some of his other stuff that he's done. I haven't seen it because I don't live in France oh, oh neither do we oh we haven't seen it either <laughs> <laughs> well I, I I watched it because I was in France at the time and uh, uh, on my holiday and <laughs> saw the performance there so I was lucky but I really enjoyed the acoustic version of Peach. I thought that was cool. Like, Oh, I've got to see that. Mm. Wasn't it Johnny Be Good? It was both. Well, yeah, it was, it was what, oh, sort of okay. what you were saying. It was like Johnny Be Good mixed with Peach. Hmm. Yeah. People Pleaser? Anyone like that track? Yeah, I do. I like it. I really, I like the lyrics. It, it reminds me half of 95 MPG mixed with kind of like Jamiroquai. Hmm. The darker kind of Jamiroquai. Yeah, I can kind of hear that. Yeah. Is he turning into the People Pleaser? Well, if you listen to the track, if you listen to the lyrics, it's quite the opposite. It's kind mm-hmm. of saying, I used to be a people pleaser, and now he's got no time for that. And it's interesting that... Oh, what a load of rubbish. Well, you know what? He, I just, said, he just said in that interview, he's not going to go out and play what he wants. He's going to play what the people want. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing, Captain. Night number three, the same night that he plays the song People Pleaser, in front of 10,000 fans, many of which who would have had a festival ticket and would have seen him as an addition, and wouldn't have been hardcore fans, heard songs like Lay Down, When I Lay My Hands On You, Empty Room, Calhoun Square, Girl, Party Man, Future Soul Song. Yeah, amongst all the other hits which he plays. Uh, amongst a medley of hits that might have went for somewhere between five and seven minutes towards the end of the show, and then full-length versions of Nothing Compares, Take Me With You and Raspberry Beret, Cream. That's about hopefully it. That then. doesn't sound like a people pleaser to me. Then hopefully this is the way it's going to go. Maybe he's finally heard all the people saying, "Enough with the hits medleys." You know. Hopefully. Get, get over it. Hopefully, because he's and and the songs I mentioned, by and large, except for "She's Always in My Hair," they're, they're full not versions. Well, yeah. In some cases, they're extended versions. Extended in the sense that he just kind of jams on them. I can only hope that the Vegas nostalgia hits act is over. And we can, you know, have some good songs. I don't know. I think he'll always... He always sort of goes back and forth. Like, and I think... I um, mean, we're never going to see the Gold Experience Tour again. Yeah. But One Note Alone was a good mix. Yeah, I, I've been pretty happy with the set lists all the way through the Welcome to America Tour and this Euro Tour as well. So. Let me just quickly say what, one other comment about these set lists. Night number two, the only 
two songs that you could, I think, really consider massive Prince hits, or even Prince hits, would be The Beautiful Ones and Baby I'm a Star, and they were right at the end. Mm. Everything else, only a, only a, a real Prince fan would know. I mean, that to me sounds like a guy who's playing what he wants to play for the occasion. But yeah, yeah then again, the, this the was a festival, festival thing. Yeah. yeah, this wasn't a normal gig. No. It wasn't a normal festival gig, yeah. it was a jazz festival Which gig. is why it was great to be there. Anyway, <laughs> let's... Mm. Anyone want to touch on the Guardian interview? <laughs> the, lost, so. the, the Lost in Translation interview. <laughs> well, the most the most uh, interesting thing to come out of it is the no longer recording. But I think oh. that even that that statement is a a, a bit of yeah, a translation I, issue. He was I never think. supposed to release an album after 1985. If we go back to that interview. Yeah. Someone yeah. posted. Yeah. No, 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 someone think... posted on the org. You know all the dates where he's either said he's never going to play the hits again, he's never going to play live again, he's never going to do this again. And there was like about 10 dates of all the times he said these things. And this is just another one. Yeah. And it was a I really think... good post to read because it's like, yeah, he did say that. Yes, he did say that. And, you I know, think... six months later, it's total 180. The, pro- the problem, though, is the, the actual Guardian and the way they've interpreted it. Because for all we know, he does record all the time and I don't think it's no longer recording I think he's no longer looking to release an album I think he's still recording but he's not dealing with the music industry because the state that it's in and the way things are run now I don't think he's found a, a, a good avenue to release it the way he wants it to be released Exactly, yeah. And I think that's what it is. And this no longer recording thing, I think it's been blown out of proportion because he he will record. He'll still write songs, record songs. Whether he releases them, it's another thing. But, you know, I don't think he's found that avenue. Surely it's not iTunes. He said that. He seems pretty happy with the newspaper thing, though. You know, he gets his cash up front and the deal's done. But But I think every time he does that, it's going to lose its impact. Yeah, maybe. Like 2010 didn't have the same impact as Planet Earth. But the problem with 2010 is it was only released in Europe and it encourages bootlegging in other regions. And I don't think he wants that. And that's the whole problem with that. Unless he gets a worldwide distribution with a newspaper, then that will never work. And he said said no to digital releases. So there's no internet releases anymore. Well, yeah. The the quote in the paper is he can't stand digital music. Mm. He can't stand that. That kind of I, I love that quote though. I, I you can't stand digital music, and then he puts out something recorded on an iPhone. <laughs> What's all that about? <laughs> I wouldn't classify it an official release, but oh, yeah. Sure. Well, we put the the question to our followers on Facebook: um, what should his distribution method should be? And the highest response was a physical CD through stores. Mm. So well, that'd be the most you know practical for most people i'd like to go i'd like to uh, i think i would argue digital would be more practical but i think people like the like holding something yeah. that's more tangible with the artwork and everything i can't remember the last cd i bought but i'd like to go and buy a cd again because it's been so long yeah i'd, I'd like to, buy go, I'd just to go into a store and buy a cd mm. it'd be nice it's like the old days it sounds like he's waiting for something else to come along. Yeah. Does he know something? Some, oh, maybe some... there's something big happening. Yeah, but so... I think it's a two-way street as well. I don't think record companies or um, retail outlets or Apple or anybody want to deal with him as well because they know mm-hmm. they'll drop an album. He'll drop an album on them and then they're stuck with it. <laughs> I mean, really, like... Yeah, but the, the target, the target, the target deal target. for Lotus Flare, I'm sure Target 
would have been very happy with that. They would have got um, just not only the sales from Lotus Flower, percentage of that, but they would have got, you know, customers coming into their store that might not have otherwise. True. They were left with a lot of stock, though. Yeah, but they sold off you know, at 99 cents. If it takes them 10 years to sell that stock, it's still, it's made its money, so. Yeah. There is another possibility, which is to say that potentially um, he's, he literally has no, like he said, has no plans on on bringing anything out, and maybe that maybe this is his way of of kind of managing the implications of 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 doing something like that because he's such a prolific artist, and he's known to release an album every year or every other year at the least. And if he does feel maybe less inspired or less inclined to to bring out material. Um, you know, why not just use these excuses? Whatever excuse he can find, whenever he gets asked the question, you know, when's a new album coming out? He's, his whole life he's had that question posed at him. The minute an album comes out, people are already asking about a new, the new one. You know, maybe that's also happening. Maybe that has a part to play. I don't know. Well, it's like um, what Jason Draper said in our last episode. Like, maybe taking a, a, a decent break off is will be a good thing. Who knows? Hmm. Well, I... I couldn't understand why he wasn't touring behind an album, but now I th- I'm thinking to myself, this is the way he's making his money because he does he's not planning to release an album, so he's just trying to make his money through tours. Yeah, and he can, I guess, be flexible, mm. as flexible as he wants to be with set lists, with mm. media, with when he tours, um, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, who knows? No one wants to touch on Burkas. <laughs> Coming well, the original just... burka wearing himself, the Torah Torah. My theory on the burka <laughs> thing. My theory on the burka. I think it's just a, a brain spasm moment that, like, and every, it happens to everyone. You say stuff, and the moment you say it, you think, "No, oh, that's just stupid." And I don't know. I hope that that's what it, what it is because it just. I think it's another misinterpretation of whatever he said. Well, see, because it, it kind of made him come across as pro-Islam, but I think it's. What he was getting at is in the middle, like unlike Western countries where you have diverse religions, in the Middle East they just worship one religion, which is Islam. But I think he's, I think what his intention was was like a whole nation or a whole area worshiping one god. I think that that's what he was getting at. I mean, yeah, the politics but it just comes across so naive, though. Because exactly, yeah, yeah. And so and, that's. But know, ever my... since then, like he's, I think he's tried to shoot it down twice, once through Funkenberry and once through another interview. He's really trying to change or make it known that oh, whatever was said was... was Taken out of context. Yeah, so... I don't know. It's so hard. You know, it's it's Prince's word versus The Guardian's word. So right. at okay. the end of the day, I'll probably trust The Guardian's word, to be honest. But like, the thing is, is like, <laughs> if he's really insistent on not recording interviews, I mean, like... You're going to get that. that. But to have... Yeah, you're going to get that. But to have it recorded... There's no disputing it. So when things exactly. get out of hand, yeah. you can always bring out the tapes and all that and say, well, okay, this is what was actually said. Yeah, I think but it was that... blown out of proportion. I think it was just a silly thing he said, and I'm hoping that the moment he said it, he's like, oh, that, he's probably thought that's probably stupid. And that's what, he, that's what he sort of implies, you know, when he says, like, oh, you can debate for whatever about what I think. You know. So, player, what you just said, mm-hmm. by allowing recording, mm-hmm. you'll also record all the stupid stuff he does say. Yeah, but the the thing is, he's disputing what's said. So if it's recorded, and if it's really the way he's saying it, it is, then mm-hmm. there's but not it, an issue. See, there. the thing because he does like the proposition eight stuff. Yeah, when he doesn't by not having his interviews recorded on his mm. request, he's allowing himself to then if he's if he says something stupid, he can just claim that yeah he that didn't they say got it. it 
Yeah. And so, so, you know, if Prince doesn't want that to happen, then you should then he should record, you know, he should record them. Yeah. But see, over time, when these misquotes come out all the time, then over time it paints this picture that, you know... Not a good picture. <laughs> it's not a good picture overall. I don't know. Mm. Okay, on, on that note, let's talk about Prince playing at Star City Casino in Sydney, Australia. It's not, not going to happen. No, I don't think it will. No. But I think it's... Why? It's let's, let's go through the reasons why. Uh, I, I just think it's too... Uh, I don't want to say not Prince, but it... It's I, totally Prince. Well, it, it's a residency it at a casino, which he's already done. That's, that's exactly the reason why. He's not going to do it because he's already done it. <laughs> I can see it being <laughs> No, no, if the cash is there, he'll be there. That's all but, I've got to say. But I, I, I get back to the Garden interview with the uh, Lost in Translation. When I first read the story, the way I read it was the guy that's overseeing the renovations and the opening, it was like his wish list. What would you like to see there? And he said, like, a residency like Elton John, like Prince. And I think it's taken that, his wishes, and it's turned into, well, Prince is going to be opening Star City. I don't think oh. it's got to that level. I think no, he's it, trying it, to... It is just a dream. I think, yeah, I think the article's complete, completely taken something out of proportion, like you said, player. Mm. Like, that's my gut feel. There is a line in there that says Prince is close to inking a deal. I mean, that could just be total rubbish, but it's written there. I think that was the interpretation, though. Again, like, I think they've they've taken this wish list and turned it into a story. Mm. I mean, what better publicity? Free publicity. Mm. You know, if Prince is close to inking a deal with this place, well, it must be a great venue. Possibly, possibly. I don't know so much about this this Star Casino, but I do do feel that a tour is not far away. (laughs) You don't know about Star City? It's an RSL on steroids. (laughs) That's what it's famous for. Yeah, but plus you've got the the fact that he's playing Rio only a few weeks before this supposed casino like reopening. So I don't think he's in the area. Uh, I I highly doubt he's going to be there to cut the ribbon. I mean that would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if the cash is there, he'll be there. So long that's, as that's what I say. As long as Andy Allo's there to hold the scissors with him, <laughs> he'll be there to hold something. There's something about playing at a casino that just doesn't smell right, though. Like, Rio... He did it it in 2006 for how many months and months and months? Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. It's just a bit... Something a bit off about walking past a pokey machine just before you're about to go to a print show. (laughs) Or maybe maybe is it not so strange after all? Uh, It's all about money. Yeah, it's almost like an omen. Yeah, he's just about to play join repetition. You hear the opening chords, and in the background, you hear. Jackpot! Kino, number 42. <laughs> 319, please. What's, um, what's the other okay. thing? Well, that room is dead. Okay, forget well, it. I like for it to be true. It'd be nice if he came out, but whether it's probable or not, it's another thing. I think it's, it's promising that he's playing. Uh, is it Brazil? He's playing Brazil yeah. in August. Yeah. And. I'm not saying that that is, you know, definitive sign that he's coming to Australia, but I think it is interesting that he's playing outside of North America Usual. and Europe. Yeah. And the other times he has toured Australia, that's also what he's done prior or, you know, around the same time. So Yeah, it's um, a step in the right direction. A, it is a step in the right direction for a tour for us, but it's by no means definitive. Hmm. Hmm. Maybe Tevin Campbell can join him on stage at Stuff. 
they can do a Facebook version of <laughs> acoustic. Yeah. Bootsy and Larry Graham are going to make an album together. Ah, that'll never happen. Maybe Bootsy and Larry can start the album off, and twenty minutes in, Bootsy can go off for a while, and Larry, <laughs> Larry will just take over. Bootsy might just come back towards the end. Yeah. I I put on Facebook. Should I go to the MPG festival in Denmark? The decision is no. <laughs> and why, why were you thinking of it? The people have spoken. Um, most people said yes, and someone goes, no. <laughs> that, that was just one word answer. I'm like, I'll go with that guy. <laughs> Whoever it was. What are you going to do, Captain, if it turns out that show is like the reenactment of the Diamond and, Diamonds and Pearls tour? <laughs> Well, with, uh, with um, the morning after as the encore, <laughs> I'll, I'll live with it. Come on, it's just not worth the trip for this current band, which I'm not that impressed with. It's just it, it wouldn't live up to what I want to see. So on that, I'm not going to go. MC, what is your opinion of the band? Has it changed? It was never bad to begin with, but uh, was it elevated? I know you mentioned about Shelby J and all that but I know you're a big fan of John Blackwell and all that but yeah John was really good this time around like as always yeah I think everyone was just really good the um the interesting thing about this band is apart from Blackwell and Mr. Hayes it's all girls isn't it yep mm. I saw some picture the other day and it's like look at all those women mm. and I'm sure he's loving that just being surrounded with Prince being the ultimate diva in the front <laughs> <laughs> All it needs is just some Celine Dion and Shania Twain now and then. <laughs> Could be a Vegas show. Um the band was was really good, but the the other thing that I that I thought of after the at the end of these shows was really I know we've talked about other band members and different band configurations, but I really don't think that... I don't know how you could really improve the band. You know, unless you reformed the Love Sexy band or unless you got the um, Sunny T. Michael B. trio back together. Those are probably the only two bands that I could think that could really, like, kick ass. But nowadays, like, they're just, like... I think Player or Toe said in one of the other episodes, they're like musicians for hire. And, okay, fine, he's known some of them for a while, but it just seems like that's what he's doing. He's just picking musicians that can play the stuff the way it needs to be played, and that's it. Like, he's really the, the star. Yeah. And that's it. Like, I've got nothing negative to say about him. They were, in fact, everything was great. See, the, the interesting thing about, say, the 93 through 95 early 96 MPG was they were all great players but I don't think he ever would we ever know but I don't think he ever felt threatened by them in outshining him but these days it seems like he is more concerned about that by not hiring you know the best players he can get I don't know getting people who can play what they have to play I think any drummer would be any drummer and Prince isn't even really a drummer drummer would be threatened by Blackwell yeah, but he doesn't get. But he doesn't get on the drums. Rarely, Prince gets on the drums. But the stuff he does do, he plays guitar, he plays bass, he plays keyboard. I don't know that. I got a theory. I just came to me. The um, up until say you know the ninety seven ninety eight band, all the bands Ugh. before that, you know, it was part of the 
being in the Prince Band that you would be in all the promo videos and you'd always be portrayed as being, you know, the band, the Prince's band. But then mm. after that, you know, the whole promo video thing, it like was all him. Prince, it just kind of died. Like no one really cared too much about promo videos as much. Um, <laughs> and so because of that, we're not getting that image of Prince and the band so much. It's, um, you could be onto something there. So maybe it's more it's more the fact that he's just not doing those sort of promo videos anymore. Yeah. And we're not getting that um, personal relationship with the band. But do you get that in other ways, like the tour books? Because when you flick them open, there's wall-to-wall yeah, well, that's the photo same. spreads yeah. of all the other members with quotes and all that around them. Yeah, yeah. but that's so all just of that's, photo. That's what I mean. like, all of that is the same. Like, that hasn't changed. Yeah. But what has changed? Well, he's not doing promo videos as much. And also, actually, going back, going on the back of what you're saying, Tejum, is when you think about like the revolution, and even in Prince's own words, he spoke about how racially diverse and everything that they were, how much of that was a calculated effort or a calculated move, mm. not only for the videos, but for the publicity and everything. And you know, now it's a different time, different era, like you're saying. It's not so much of a big deal. So he's probably just choosing... My guess is he's choosing players that he knows are capable... That are familiar with the songs. Familiar with the songs, capable, probably get on well together, play well together, and are fun to be to hang out on tour with, probably. Yeah, but I think he's getting less picky with who's who he's letting into the band. Hey. 